Thank you, worship team. Thanks. I'm going to take my chair over here. You guys doing all right today? Good. Feels warm in here today, which is nice because last few weeks it's felt cold. So probably the weather is changing or our furnace is finally working the way it's supposed to. I don't know. I wanted to touch on one of the announcements James made, and that is the work day. Here's why I value and care about a work day. Because, to be honest, we probably could hire everything to be done that we're going to do. But here's the difference. This is our church. This is our place. And I think that there's real value in putting your sweat into something that's your own. I've lived in a house that was fully redone, and we loved it. We loved our house in Iowa. It was beautiful. It was big. It was spacious. We had more than one space to sit in so people could have their own space, or when you had people over, you weren't like on top of each other, and we loved it. But when we moved in there, it was all done, and we lived there for four years, and we did very little, and it never felt like with this vested interest. Now I have this tiny house in Des Moines that I had to fight to get, and the weeds take over, and I get so angry that my yard looks a mess, and I'm fighting with it all the time, but you know what? It's mine. And uh, yes, it's true, I hire teenagers all the time. If you're a teenager that likes to do yard work, let me know. I'll hire you, but I'll be out there with you, picking up branches and killing ivy, and ooh, remember, that's, a, that's what they call a callback in the comedy biz, little foreshadowing of what's to come. And um, so the work day, there's something valuable about putting your work and effort into something that we call ours. And there was a church that was here, and part of a congregation came over, and we've become one. But I don't think we've all put in our physical labor into this place or even into the other place. There's a lot that needs to be done at the other building to get the lawn and the grounds ready to say, hey, we want to have 250 people from the community. Last year, we had over 200 people from the community come for an Easter egg hunt. And there are people that are in our congregation now that the first thing they ever came to was one of our Easter egg hunts. I know of two families that belong to us that are now part of our family. Am I right, Justin? Woohoo! That are part of our family. Oh, Jackie's here too. Hey, Jackie, not ignoring you. That are part of us. They're not the only one. That's just one of the two. They're the ones I see right now. They came because of an Easter egg hunt. We have people that are in our church because of a Halloween event. We had it. They came, and now they belong to us. Not belong to us. That's not the right word. But they're part of us. We do that because we value people. And so if I want to say to 250 of my closest community friends, come on out, we're doing this Easter egg hunt. I don't want the grounds to look like it's been taken over by the gophers that get it most of the year. (laughs) So please, come out April 6th. If you say, oh, Jeff, I'd love to, or April 13th, I'm sorry, April 13th. If you say, I'd love to, but I can't, I'm headed to Hawaii for a week's vacation for spring break. Great, have a great trip. Why don't you do something before you go? In this building, we'll be doing, we're getting rid of the old dead grass. We're ripping it all out because we can't beat the crows. We've tried for the whole three years I've been here. They win. I finally give up. It's personal, but they won't let me sit on the roof with a gun. So (laughs) I give up. You win. We're going to rip all that grass out. We're going to put in bark there. We're going to rebark our islands. We're going to uh, do some, we're going to clean out the kids' classrooms, clean out clean up all the toys that are in the nursery. We're going to make our building ready and presentable. And again, 
We didn't even do it last year. Everything that we did last year, basically a small group of volunteers and I hired people to do. You know, all the weeding that got done last year, you may have noticed on Easter, I hired three teenagers to do it because I was like, you know, give the people a break, but it's time for us to now get out there and do it again. So that's why we do this. James likes to call it a work party. I say, no, it's a work day. Work, people. I keep my work and my partying separate, unlike James. So come on out if you can. If you can't make it on the 13th, let me know. Seriously, I can say, oh, we need this done, this done, this done, and just let you loose on your own jobs on your own time. So, and we start at 8 that day. We'll be done at 1. There'll be bagels or donuts here in the morning, and we'll, we'll end at 1 so that you can go and have lunch on your own, and I don't have to buy a second meal for you. <laughs> We're in Judges again today. Um, I've got just as much material this week as I had last week, but I'm going to try to edit myself. For those of you who were here last week, you're probably still in a little bit of shock, a little trauma. Jeff never goes that long. Longest message I've done since I've been here in almost six years. I won't do that to you two weeks in a row. Um, We're going to be at the end of the book of Judges. Uh, As I said last week, I said basically we're covering chapters 19 through 21. But I'm going to tell you right now, Judges 19 tells the story of a man and his concubine a uh, concubine is not the same as a prostitute for some of those of you who ask. A prostitute is who you pay for one time. A concubine is more like a slave. He bought her. He owned her. She did household chores. She did whatever he wanted. And um, we're not going to go into a lot of the detail there because we are a multi-age group and I don't want to shock the children. But it's, listen, sometimes I go, ooh, this is a PG-13 chapter. This is an NC-17 chapter if you want the truth. Judges 19 is not for the faint of heart or for the children or for people who've had a lot of trauma in their life. It is a traumatic story. And it's a group of people that rape and murder somebody. And the man wants vengeance. And it just shows us one more time the same cycle. I've talked about how this cycle repeats itself. It's the same pattern. They live however they want, Then they become slaves and they're oppressed, the people of Israel. Then they call out to God and God frees them. And God frees them. Sometimes there's consequences for their actions, but he never condemns them. The subtle difference is God comes and he frees them from what they're in and he doesn't condemn them. Now, sometimes there's still a price to pay for their sin. There's natural consequences when we sin. I break the law. I go to jail. That's the natural consequence for my sin. Doesn't mean God's not with me that God's presence has abandoned me. It means I have to pay a consequence for what I've done. And there's a difference between consequence and God's judgment. And then they walk for a while, worshiping God, serving God. And then after a time, sometimes it's 20 years, sometimes it's 40 years. But some of you can actually remember 20 years ago. How many of you ever think about, well, when I was in high school a few years ago, and then realize you've been out for like 20 years? I recently did that. I was talking to somebody about when I was in high school, something that happened. I said a few years ago, and I was like, wow, I've been out of high school 25 years. That wasn't a few years ago. That was a quarter of a century ago when I was in high school. I'm almost half a century old. It stuns even me who thinks of himself as a young guy. You realize how quickly time passes and how they repeat the cycle. And you say, how come they keep repeating this? Because things got good and things got easy and life went on 
and they had babies, and there were weddings, and summer came, and they had a great vacation, and then the cycle repeats itself, and they realize, oh, it's been 20 years, 40 years. And then they're trapped, and they repeat, and they do the same thing again. They get back into this cycle of sin, and we do the same thing. So the Levite man, whose concubine he had basically taken as a wife, he goes home, and because she's been murdered, he cuts her up into 12 pieces. And you're thinking, you're sharing this part? Yeah, this is the stuff I can share. And he sends one to each of the tribe as a warning that this is what God's going to do to you. He's going to cut you off. He sends it out and he says, God is going to avenge this because she did nothing wrong. So the tribes gather and they call for a 10% of all their men to go to battle against one of their own tribes, the tribe of Benjamin. And they go and they battle, and it says there were a total of nearly 400,000 men that came to the battle. And they go against Benjamin, and they go tribe by tribe. So the first tribe is up, they go, and they lose the first day. Second tribe is up, they go, they lose the second day. Benjamin has about 25,000 soldiers, and so what they decide to do is to set a trap. And they send just a few men against the city, and the Benjamites come out, and those men run and flee, and it says they ran down the highway, and as they're pursued, the rest of the troops all attack the city that they're in, and they kill everybody. And the people that, the Benjamites don't even know it, as they're fleeing, until they turn around, and their city is up in smoke. So then they turn to head back, and they're ambushed again. And it says 25,000 basically are wiped out that day. One small remnant goes to the mountains to hide. And then the Israelites go on and they destroyed this city. And then they feel bad because they've wiped out an entire tribe. And the few that are left won't have a nation. And all the while we read this, and I've heard it read, and this was God's plan. It was not God's plan. God's plan was not to do this, because God's plan was not to have them be evil in his sight. And when we say, well, this was God's plan, what we do is we say, God doesn't mind the evil. God hates the evil. He sent his son to destroy that which is evil, but it doesn't mean he's lost for what to do. Because God is going to make the best out of the ashes, out of the tragedy, out of the struggle. He's going to take it, and he's going to make it beautiful. And so there's a difference, again, between God making something beautiful out of the mess we created and God creating the mess. There's a difference, but it matters, because God is not a God who's vengeful and wants justice, or wants condemnation. He's a God that wants justice. So then the Israelites make a vow that none of their daughters can marry the Benjamites because they're an evil tribe. But then they feel bad because we can't let one of our own tribes be wiped off the face of the earth. So then they go again and they attack another city at Jabesh Gilead, executing all the people except for those who had known no man. So basically, likely, this is girls that are under the age of 13 are now taken as child brides. And you're going... What is wrong with these people? Over and over and over again, they repeat the cycle. Because when you're not in connection and communion with God, 
and you begin to just live however you want, your sin doesn't stop the first time. It just grows and grows and grows. So they kidnap this group to become wives for the remaining factions of Benjamites. The problem is they don't get enough of them. Chapter 21 of Judges, starting in verse 13. It says, Then the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin who were at the rock of Rimmon and announced peace to them. So Benjamin came back at that time. That's not one person, that's a tribe. And they gave them the women whom they had saved alive or the women of Jabesh Gilead. And yet they found that there were not enough for them. And the people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a void in the tribes of Israel. Again, they blamed God for their actions. Then the elders of the congregation said, what shall we do for wives of those who remain since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? And they said, they must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. However, we cannot give them wives from our daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn an oath, saying, Cursed be the one who gives a wife to Benjamin. Then they said, In fact, there is a yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebanon. Therefore, they instructed the children of Benjamin, saying, Go, lie in wait in the vineyards, and watch. And just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, come out from the vineyards, and every man catch a wife. Okay, if your words are, go catch a wife for yourself, somebody at that point should have said, Hey, guys, wait. There may be another way. Nope. Go catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh. Then go up to the land of Benjamin. Then it shall... Be when their fathers or their brothers come to complain that we will say to them, be kind to them for our sakes, because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war. For it is not as though you have given the women to them at this time. In other words, we know we kidnapped them. Let it go. Making yourselves guilty of your own oath. And the children of Benjamin did so. And they took wives from their number and those who danced, whom they caught. Then they went and returned to their inheritance and they rebuilt their cities and dwelt in them. So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his own tribe and to his own family. They went out from there, every man to his inheritance. Now here's the most telling part of all of what I just read. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is not a compliment. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. People are like, why can't we just get back to following God? Well... Because most of us don't have the capacity to continue to do what we know. Here's a few things we learned from that text. Number one, people are idiots. First thing I wrote when I was reading it, I was like, these people are idiots. And then I realized these people are just like you and me. We sin, we do something, and we go to fix it, and we just keep making it worse and worse. Why? Because we're not really relying on God. We're relying on ourselves to fix the problem that we created. The second thing I learned from this text, it's a misuse of God's name. It's abuse of the people who desire to follow God, and it's happened since the beginning of time. Be careful of those claiming to be the voice of God if what they're saying does not align with the word of who God is and the character of God. Too often times, we want to follow a great leader, and I understand that. We want to follow somebody that's charismatic, somebody that you know can rally people, somebody that can do these things. 
But make sure that we're, the person we're following is truly closely following God. I'm not criticizing or condemning any particular church, any particular denomination. I'm just saying, understand that man is flawed. And we need to be ones that make sure that we're checking and testing, not questioning everything a leader does, because then he's not able to lead. But knowing and believing that our leader is following God, praying for that leader. God's nature is consistent, and he's not going to tell you to do something against his nature. He's not going to tell you to do something because it's the easiest way. Oftentimes, it becomes the more difficult way. And the third thing I learned from this text, when we try to do it ourselves, it's never going to work out the way we think. When we try to do it ourselves, it's never going to work out. I admire the fact that they didn't want to wipe out a tribe, and yet they still end up intermarrying, thinning the bloodline, and bringing in an idolatrous, idolatrous people, a people that worshipped other gods, into their tribe. And when you do that, guess what they bring with them? They're idols. It's the same thing we see with Solomon. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lives, ends up building temples to all kinds of foreign gods. Why? Because it's easier than fighting against it. Another thing the text teaches us is there's a big difference between God's plan and God using a situation for good. God didn't create the chaos here. And yet we see him consistent in the midst of the chaos, which was created by man, to continue to use the people of Benjamin. Even though they're no longer the purebred Jews that the nation of Israel wants to be, he continues to use them. And here's the thing. They're never considered second-class citizens by God. The Gentiles that married in, it's a picture of what's to come that they're just as much a part of his family and just as much a part of his children. And oftentimes, especially people who want to get back to, we should be like the Old Testament. We should be celebrating the feast. We should be like children of Israel. I don't criticize people that want to walk that way. What I do tell them when they tell me I should is, nope, I'm not under the law. Jesus came to set me free from that very thing. Peter and Paul, two people upon whom the New Testament is basically written and based, had completely different views of that. And Paul is the one that ends up basically founding and establishing much of the church. Because he says, no, Jesus came to break that. And Peter's like, okay, we can let Gentiles in, but only if they live just like we do. And Paul's like, that's not freedom. That's legalism. And we're free from that. God didn't create this chaos, but in the midst of it, in the midst of it, he still calls them his children. Another thing we learn from the text When there's not a leader speaking of the beauty of the future, giving vision for something greater, people will do whatever they want and they use God to justify their actions. Slavery in America was viewed as okay by the church at one time. The church was virtually silent on it for nearly 200 years. Because it didn't affect them and it was wrong and it was sinful. And their silence is still a stain on the church to this day. There's ongoing sexism in the church in America. It says women cannot be whatever. They can't be in this role. They can do this, but they can't do that. 
because they take a few scriptures where Paul is speaking to a specific group at a specific time out of context, and they create a theology. And I've told you before, do not create a theology on any one scripture in the Bible. If we can learn anything from that, it's out of Proverbs where it says, God is dead. Of course, you also have to read the entire verse. It says, only a fool says God is dead. But there's people who basically do the same thing with a different verse, and they take one portion of scripture and build an entire theology, and they're wrong. God did not create two genders so that half of them cannot be used by God. He created us, male and female, so that we fit and so that we meet each other's needs and so that we, and this has nothing to do with whether you're married or single, but as a culture, I've said many times, it's not good for man to be alone. And the same thing, one of the earliest things we learn, it's not good for man to be alone, means we need to be in communion with each other. St. John of the Cross, who was a 15th century mystic, stated it this way. When he came into this relationship with God, he said, you cannot know God outside of community. In other words, if you're off by yourself, I can be a Christian. I don't need the church. You're wrong. Doesn't say you can't be saved. Says you can't know God outside of community. The very basis of our name, Gathering Place, is based on Hebrews. And a scripture that says, don't forsake the gathering together of the believers. We're called to gather together. And yet, there's people who would divide us because they misunderstand one scripture. And they say, this one is in charge, and this one... No, that's not what God intended. But they do things in the name of God. I could go over and over and over where the church has failed. And yet, I see it but I don't think the best way to fix it is to stand outside and yell at how bad the church is and say you're never going back. I think the way to fix it is for us to come together as a body, support and believe in one another, and move forward together. Another thing this text tells us here is that God has a plan. And he will fulfill it in spite of his people, not because we're such great followers of God. God's plan for redemption God's plan for his people didn't have anything to do with them going and murdering and raping and cutting people into pieces. He's looking down going, what are you doing? And yet not shocked at all because he knows I gave you free will and free will will always allow you to sin. So how does this affect us today? How does something written that long ago, I have no plans to go and kill and murder and quarter people. I have no plans to do those things. Here's how it affects us today. We have to listen to the voice of God, obey the voice of God, and learn what does the voice of God sound like. I spend time with people who don't agree with everything I think. I'm intentional about spending time with people who even have different theological stance or viewpoint than me. People who aren't Christians. I intentionally get together with people and talk. And it's not always religious talk. A lot of times it's just to let them see, oh, he's a Christian and he seems like a normal person. That's where I fool him. (laughs) But it affects me this way today if I'm going to listen to the voice of God and I'm going to become as the voice of God in people's lives, I'm going to speak into their lives, 
I have to know that voice. And there have to be people that need to hear that voice that I'm engaging with. Let's be a people who engages, not just with people who agree with us politically, socially, economically, ethnically, whatever. Let's spend time with people that maybe are different from us. I'm not Irish, but I'm wearing green today. Happy St. Patrick's Day. But let's be real with that, too. Are you willing to change your viewpoint if you discover that it doesn't align with God's? There's been plenty of people who say, I'll do whatever God wants. Of course, I notice they only do the things that align with their exact viewpoint on things. Politically, socially, whatever. They'll do whatever God wants as long as it's this. It's the old, you can have it in any color you want as long as it's black. You know, the old, um, was that uh, Edsel that said that regarding his car? Any color you want as long as it's black. One of the most famous business failures in all of history was what they call a Blackberry. And the famous quote from their CEO, we're not going to spend time creating apps. It's a waste of time and people don't care. Three years ago, Apple sold its one billionth app. Blackberry virtually doesn't exist. Apple rules the cell phone market. But the last three years, They've been losing traction because they said, oh, we're going to do it this way and only this way. And somebody else is like, you want a foldable phone? Can't figure out why, but sure, we'll do it. There you go. You, You can't rely on one viewpoint if it doesn't align with what God has. God is doing something in the church and God is doing something in people. And though Jesus Christ is the same, the method changes in how we deliver that message. And we're in a constantly changing culture. And I'm not talking about compromising our core values or beliefs, but I am saying, do your core values and beliefs, is it your core values and beliefs, or is it genuinely what God wants for you? Third way it affects us today. You've got to stop the cycle. Stop justifying your sin. It doesn't matter that you're not as bad as that person. It doesn't matter that you've always been this way. It doesn't matter that your sin doesn't hurt anybody else. It's just me. Stop justifying it. Turn and repent. Genuine genuine repentance requires more than remorse, but it requires a change of action. It's easy for me to say I'm sorry about something, but just keep living the exact same way. Sin is easily adopted as a life practice. It's easy to take it on as what you do. This is just who I am. But you've got to stop that cycle and stop repeating over and over and over. And we come, and we know that grace is free, and, but we've made it cheap instead of free. We've cheapened it by not offering it to everyone and only offering it when we want. So recently I was driving along looking at trees, as I often do, and I was driving, and um, I'm coming off an exit off the 5 on 272nd, and I looked, and there's all these trees that are covered in ivy, and it's green and pretty. And what really stood out to me is I was like, boy, the, the trees are starting to like, get the blossoms and bloom out again. It's really spring. And I looked at the boy, that ivy is green. And I've, I'd heard before that ivy can be fairly destructive like to buildings. And I was like, I wonder if it's destructive to trees. Trees give us oxygen. They create beauty. They hold our soil together to keep us from erosion. They purify 
minerals out before it ever gets on our groundwater. They do a lot of things. They don't just stand there. They're not just for firewood. And so I decided to look up and study about ivy. And um, what we have here is called English ivy. It uh, actually was, covers much of Europe, and it flourishes in a rainy climate like the Pacific Northwest. And they, they can't even estimate the cost of what it's cost in damage done to trees and to buildings, just even in Washington. I was looking to try to find a number. But they said, usually within 25 years of it being introduced into a forest, 25 years, and it wipes out the forest. That's all it takes it. Once it's been introduced, because it goes, and it wraps itself around the tree, and it flourishes in our rainy weather, and it steals the water and everything else that the tree needs, and it just begins to shrink in on it. And it's really hard to poison without poisoning the tree. So it's got to be taken off. It's got to be cut. And sometimes it goes all the way up the tree, and you've got to make a cut, they say, greater than 12 inches, or else it'll just kind of wind its way back and connect with the ground again. And we have the same thing in our lives. Maybe we would look really good on the outside, but we have this sin, and we've allowed it to take root. And it's still, we still have this green, vibrant life, but it's really just our sin disguised as something else. And it's sin that we can easily hide. Prejudice, arrogance, gossip, judgmentalism. We can hide these sins really easy. We hide them under the guise of being spiritual. We hide them under the guise of whatever, but it's still sin. And we won't admit it's sin, and we won't go and apologize or repent of it, because, well, that would just be embarrassing. That would be awkward. And so we just allow it to sit there and get more and more green, and the whole time it's choking the true spiritual life out of us. And because we have all this green on us, we can fit in in the church or fit in in society. We can fit in in places, but we no longer have a thriving spiritual life. But what is it costing us in genuine relationship? Because you can't let people get too close or they'll find out it's all fake. So I'll show up here on a Sunday morning, let them see me, and then get out before anybody really wants relationship. I don't want to give them my time, my energy. I want to punch my card and say I've done it. And believe me, I've seen people that live their lives that way for years. Literally years they go through. And they won't go deeper And as soon as somebody starts to really press in or push them, you get somebody who's really like, I'm going to be your friend no matter what. Then they've got to pull out. They've got to find another church that makes them happy. They've got to find another place to worship. Because it's hard. Killing the ivy is really, really difficult. It looks so beautiful when it's hanging off trees. But watch how many trees it's hanging off. And you look, and the tree itself is actually dead. Once I read this, I started driving around again literally just looking for these ivy-covered trees, going, oh yeah, that one's dead now. It'll fall in a year or two, and nobody will notice. It's just in the middle of the woods. It's in the little wedge between the interstate and the exit. And it's going to die. And it's not going to matter. And that ivy's just going to creep along and get on another one and steal the life out of that one. Let's not be the ones we're stealing life. Let's be the ones who go and deal with the difficult and the painful, who are open and real and vulnerable. Nobody wants to be that way. 
people will tell me they're starting counseling, and here's what my prayer is. God, let them be real, and let them know this is the hardest thing they're ever going to do, because the hardest thing you can do is, as an adult, change who you are. Because your patterns you developed, you developed them over 20, 30, 60, 80 years, however old you are, you learned how to survive, and that became your pattern, and for some at some points, it was what you needed to live, and at other points, it's now unhealthy. Counseling is hard. Go see a life coach. Watch what they want you to change, and you're like, no, that's who I am. That defines me. Yeah, change the things that define you so that we can be defined by Christ. No, that's too difficult. Now you're just spiritualizing everything, Jeff. The same cycle that happens in Judges, I've seen it happen over and over and over in the life of Christians. Because it's hard relationships are hard and church is hard and being real is hard and being vulnerable is hard. So it's a whole lot easier for me to go and just show up once in a while. I'll give you a few dollars if it'll make you happy. And I like it when you feed orphans. So here's something for that too. And then I'm going to go my own way and I'm never going to change because it's too hard. Relationships are hard. I tell people all the time, the hardest thing you'll ever do is get involved in meaningful relationships in a church. Not the, hey, how's it going? Good to see you again. And then you walk over and get your cookie, which please do. Come, have a cookie. But those meaningful relationships are so difficult because it means i got to be real. And if I'm real, somebody might see my sin and my flaws. And somebody might call me on it. And that's scary and painful. And yet, that's what gives us hope and life. The book of Judges is all about this cycle, and I've seen it over and over and over in churches and in individual people. And I always say, the most beautiful thing about us owning a building is it gives people a place to come back to when they're ready to come back. For me, I need to be here every week because I desperately need this engagement. If you know me at all, I love to be around people, and I'm a people person, but I don't want people to really get to know me. I want them to learn about my hobbies and know me on the surface. I don't want to go deep. Because deep hurts. And I don't want to be hurt. And yet I know that if God is going to do anything real in me, I've got to be willing to go deep with people. And that's a scary thing. But walk away from this series with this. If I want to break that cycle... I gotta learn to be real. And if I'm gonna learn to be real, it takes time to build those relationships. And it's hard. But in the end, it will be worth it because I'll start to become more of who God created me to be. And that's what I desire for each of you. God, we thank you for this day. I thank you for the example that you gave us. Though it's painful at times to look at our own life this way. Help us to be people who are real and vulnerable. Help us to be people willing to let our flaws be seen so that we can begin to work out those rough edges to become more like you. Help us to be real so that we can become who you created us to be. In your name, amen.